0: Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Immanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. I have a lot to teach you and the time is short, so I'm going to be as fast as possible. The theme for today's service is Marked. Can you say Marked? And what, I, what do we mean by marked? Understanding biblical circumcision is what we want to talk about. Understanding biblical circumcision. I want to start by sharing with you from Ephesians chapter 1, from verse 1 to 3, by way of introduction. And as you open that text, I want you to listen to this. You see, years ago, I heard. Miles Monroe of Blessed Memory, he said something that I didn't understand then. I was a young believer then. No one had explained to me what he was saying, so I didn't get it. He said Ephesians chapter 1 ought to be the first book of the Bible. He's not saying they made a mistake in the chronological arrangement or in the arrangement of the canon. But he's just saying for the sake of explanation. Because he sees it as a commentary on the entire book of the Bible. Ephesians chapter 1 you see the Bible is like that suspense-filled movie which when you're watching you don't really see where it's going you know that someone is scheming something and that something is being schemed, but you don't really see it until the end have you seen a movie like that before and has it ever happened to you that when you saw a movie to, till the end and everything became clearer you now rewound to see some details that you missed has that happened to you before the bible is such a book suspense filled. you see so there are some things that are not as obvious from the beginning but become clearer at the end the bible is christocentric it's christ-centered from the beginning but you don't really see it at the beginning because christ was hidden in riddles in types in shadows in symbols why i explained to you on wednesday Because God, the Bible says it was ordained for our glory, but God hid it until it was time. Until it was time to be revealed. It's just like someone's birthday is in two weeks. You buy a gift for the person, but you don't tell the person. The gift is for the person, but you won't give the person until it's time. Is that clear enough? All right. so that's how you see... the flow of thoughts in the bible Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 3 it says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ I have a lot to say about this I wish I had more time to dwell on this alone first and foremost there are two very important points here it tells us that there is a blessing in heavenly places in Christ for us And that's not quite an easy subject to teach on in a day where material blessings are so emphasized. It seems like you get more attention when you talk about how God wants to bless you and fill your pockets in that context. Or healing services and things like that. But he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Listen, you have to see what Christ did as a big deal. Not in a metaphorical symbolic sense, but in an actual practical sense. You have to understand this. That the promise in Christ is this. When we die at the trump of God, we will rise up to a new body that will never decay or depreciate. We will never grow old. We will never grow weak. We will never grow weary. Eternal life is such a powerful thing. Science can't fathom it. Because you see, even everything created by science robots, you know, iPads phones they have a lifespan the battery is supposed to run weak and needs to be charged or something and eventually the battery dies but how would you power a man for eternity now that's a big miracle and we must see that's the miracle that it is and it says blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ now the first is he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ The second thing is the revelation of that blessing will move us to bless him he has spoken well of us and so we speak well of him in Christ so this tells us the point and the purpose of our theology is not just for knowing we don't just learn about the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ so that we can boast to our neighbors that we know the Word of God more than they do it is to inspire worship Learning about his blessing for us in Christ leads us to bless him and to worship him. This is the point of theology. Any theology that does not lead to more worship, fervent devotion and adoration is misplaced. Come on, are you with me? But that's just a preamble to what I'm saying. You know, to connect the thought I started with with Mount Moro. The next verse says, according as he chose us in him, Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love and just in case you don't see what is fascinating about this everything is fascinating about this and I'm going to show you what exactly it is you're talking Paul you're talking about something that happened before the foundation of the world were you there how do you know that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame were you there did he tell you how old are you and then when you probe further you realize how Paul knew it's all in the scriptures in the scriptures Paul is explaining by revelation what was hidden a proper understanding of the Old Testament will reveal you will end up where Paul ended this is why Miles Moreau said this should be the first chapter of the Bible is the is the explanation of everything that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame Christ wasn't an afterthought it wasn't as if things kept getting bad God tried many things and I said oh what do I do now I will send my son no Jesus was always the plan hallelujah come on say that we may say Jesus was all, always the plan so now you wonder what did Paul see what did Paul see To conclude like this how did he arrive at this the Bible tells us about the beginning it says God created man in his image male and female created them he blessed them and said be fruitful multiply replenish the earth the Bible says he planted a garden in the east of Eden and told them, he said of all the trees in this garden you may freely eat but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it says in the day that you eat of it you will surely die but you know every story has a twist You know, this follows a standard movie-making plot twist. A classic movie will start with something good, you know, you just see a couple, they're nice, they're happy, then something will happen. And then the rest of the movie is explaining how that problem was corrected. Then when it is corrected, they live happily ever after. Have you noticed that movies are like that? And some movies are based on true life stories also. The Bible is a true life story and follows that same format. He created all things. Everything was good. Then the serpents came. Did God say, you know the story, man fell and so did Eve and then God drives them out of the garden of Eden so that they won't have access to the tree of life and the whole Bible is a story of our journey back to that tree of life. Are you getting what I'm saying? But the Bible tells us that he puts angels with flaming swords to guard that tree. Meaning if you're going to access that tree, someone's going to die. The only way to enter Eden again, to access that tree, is by someone coming under the sword. And so in types and shadows, in many different ways, the Bible tells us, about God unfolding his plans, starting from what is called the Protivangelion. I started at embassy, the first one, which is Latin for the, the first presentation of the gospel in the Bible, where God said, the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpents. Come on, are you with me? And that alone is very prophetic and has more details than people realize. First and foremost, he said the seed of the woman in procreation is the man who produces the seed. And the woman does the rest. But now he says the seed of the woman indicating the virgin birth. That in the conception through which the Messiah will be burned, man's seed will not be involved. Are you getting what I'm saying? So all of this begins to unfold from time to time. He gave them many symbols, many signs to prefigure what he was going to do in Christ. He gave them the ordinance, you know, of the atonement. They would get lambs every year, slaughter lambs. But those lambs never really atoned for their sins. They were, placing their, they were to place their faith on the real lamb of God by demonstrating with those lambs. But many of them didn't realize, they thought that the blood, the blood of bulls and goats would take away their sins and they were so wrong. They were so wrong. And many centuries after, John the Baptist sees a man and he points to him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is the person that we spoke about in times and shadows with all those lambs. Are you getting this? Jesus said as Moses lifted up the brazen serpent in the wilderness So shall the Son of man be lifted So if Jesus did not explain we would not know that the brazen serpent was a figure of Christ, and That littered throughout the Old Testament are figures types and shadows of the Christ and Paul comes conclusively to give a commentary on everything and says according as he chose us in him from the foundation of the earth To be holy and without blame what a commentary so this month we are unpacking the types and the shadows on Wednesday we talked about the Passover how many of you were blessed by that all right and we just began to help you see the symbolism it's so important the first thing that stands out for me is the fact that God did not show favoritism he wasn't just going to pass over the Jews just because they were Jews because it's the story of salvation the Bible says all have sinned come short of the glory of God the only reason the Jews will be spared is blood on their lintels. listen The spirit of death will not recognize your accent and say you are Jewish pass He's not going to look at your good works and say you tried pass There is no such measure all men deserve to die And the only thing that is going to make him pass over is the blood That's salvation a picture of salvation. He said when I see the blood I will pass over and so even if the judgment was supposed to be for Egypt. The only thing that makes Israel exempt is the blood on their lintel. Guess what? If there was any family amongst the Israelites that didn't have that blood on their lintels, judgment would have hit them. And that's something we must realize. Even in salvation, why not better than the world? All have sinned. Come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die. It says but the gift of God. Meaning if this is, if we were to get what we deserve, our wages is death. Our wage. Yet he says the gift of God, his undeserved, unmerited favor is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you see that picture in the the Passover. And now we want to talk about another very important one. That is hardly spoken of today. But is also important. It is the circumcision. And listen the Passover in part um, describes Oh should I say this now Hallelujah In the Passover we see how redemption impacts the Messiah In the circumcision we see how it impacts us You have to see the connection they are more connected than many people see but let me not get ahead of myself let's do a bit of Bible study and then this is a, this is actually a staring sermon this is not just something to know in your head there is a boast in the circumcision listen this is going to change your life it's going to change how you walk how you see yourself because in case you didn't know you are marked by God in the spirit realm, there is something different about you. The spirit realm recognizes it. You are marked. Can you say that I'm marked by God? So let's talk about the circumcision a bit. We'll kill two birds with a stone. Two major objectives here to help you understand the doctrine of the circumcision, types and shadows in the Old Testament, and then the true circumcision in Christ. And secondly, to stir your confidence in the efficacy. Of circumcision. What is circumcision? At least we have a fair idea of this medically. Because circumcision still ca- is still carried out today, even though there is a medical purpose to the circumcision we see, which makes it different. Because the purpose is everything. Now doctors do circumcision for hygiene and many other reasons. Alright. But it's basically the removal of the foreskin of the get ready for it. The penis of a male child. I had to prepare you. Let's do a brief analysis of the word. Some people's voice that I didn't hear since I started <laughs> preaching, I heard it now. Anyways, <laughs> whatever that means. So let's do some analysis on the word now. session When you say circumcision, season actually means to cut like a scissors or to cut as with a scissors. Cision, from the word incision, right? and circum means around circumference around so circumcision means to cut around the removing of the foreskin of the penis and straight to it it had three implications three implications the first being identification the second promise and the third protection i take that again the first identification the second promise and then the third Protection For identification, when God gave the ordinance of the circumcision to Abraham and his seed, it was a strategy by which the world would recognize them as belonging to God. And so the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 17 from verse 9, I want you to open your Bibles as fast as you can like we're playing the game of the Bible sword because time is literally running out on us. If you are fasting now, time will be slow. <laughs> Have you noticed that thing? <laughs> Genesis seventeen nine. The Bible says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. It says, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a sign. Can you say a sign? Of the covenant between me and you. It says, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Which, by, by the way, just proves that God must have been behind it. Because medically, all right, a child can only be circumcised beginning from the eighth day. Because the elements, the blood clot elements, I'm not a doctor, but vitamin K, thrombin, trombin, and, and some other stuff, all right, actually develops from the eighth day. And it's so strat- it's, it's just mind-blowing that God will say from eighth day. These are some of the things that just proves that there was a divine mind behind all of this. Alright? Because medical science was not as sophisticated. How do you know? Eighth day. Anyways, it says, the eight, from the eighth day, the child amongst you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation who was born in your house, or born with money from a foreigner who is your descendant. Verse 14, it says, and the uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken the covenant. It was a system of identification. If you were not circumcised, you were to, cut off, you, you were to be cut off. You don't belong to us. System of identification. Hallelujah. And it was gross. And it was bloody. And someone will ask, like, is it no identification? Give us a ring. <laughs> Give us a tattoo or something. Why did it have to be so gory? Why did it have to be so gross? Have you been there when a child is receiving medical circumcision? Some of you don't know what I'm saying. If you've experienced it, wave at me. How was it? Horrible, right? The child cried and you're like, like seriously. Now, in our day we have anesthetics and medical science is a lot more sophisticated. How about then? You know what's worse? At the time God gave the covenant to Abraham. Abraham was already an adult, and he had to circumcise himself too. So if it's horrible for a child, a grown man, cut off your foreskin. Like God. Don't you have something else? Just give us a wristwatch. We'll wait forever. You know? Or a pendant or something. People who ask that question, only know one-third of the importance of the circumcision. They think it was just about identification. It was more. Just to go over the story again, like I said earlier, God said the seed of the woman will bruise the head of sin and death. And they began to look for that seed. Eventually, they knew that that seed will come through the lineage of Abraham because God said, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So you have to understand that seed was gonna come through Abraham's lineage through procreation. Are you getting this? And so, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. By circumcision, the identification just tells you, for instance, if you see a policeman, you can identify him by his uniform. But the purpose of the identification of that policeman is that he gets to protect life and property, at least that's what he's meant to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, the identification is one thing. The purpose of the identification is another thing. The purpose of the identification was the promise. Through your lineage, that seed that bruises the head of sin and death will come. And so, it is only fitting, are you getting me, that the organ through which procreation is carried out bears the mark. That was why. That was why. And some people have wondered, why? Was it only the male, male people who were circumcised? Because, you see, the promise is in the procreation. That's where the real covenant is demonstrated. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so, by a woman being with a circumcised man, she partakes of that covenant. Because, after all, the woman carries the seed... The woman participates by carrying the seed, the fruit of the covenant. Are you getting what I'm saying? And then the man participates in the circumcision. That's why both Abraham and his wife, both names were changed because they were were meant to be part and parcel of that covenant. So Sarah's womb was going to be opened in fulfillment of the covenant. And then Abraham was meant to be circumcised. So every part of it was symbolic that no seed will pass the man without passing the mark. Are you getting what I'm saying? It was going to be a sign. And then the third, which people are not as familiar with, is protection. Can you say protection? Like I said... Circumcision and Passover have a lot more in common than people realize. I want you to see Exodus chapter 12, verse 48. Exodus 12, 48. Exodus 12, 48. It says, And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall not and it shall be as the native of the land for no uncircumcised person shall eat it can you say no uncircumcised person shall eat it so that so that tells you oh i wish i had enough time to unpack it but the symbols are similar and the same way in the passover you see everyone deserved to die But by the blood on the lintel, these people found grace in the sight of God. The same thing applies to the circumcision. All men deserve to die. And in the circumcision, I, in a figure, judge my flesh, showing that the flesh needs to be judged. And God is going to send a seed to be judged on our behalf so that we can live. I mean, literally, if we don't judge our flesh by partaking in the circumcision, the destruction that is going to come on the heathen nations will also come on us. Are you getting what I'm saying? So listen, the ideology is this. This promised land that you guys are going to occupy, you are not better than the people that I'm driving out. You're not better than them. It is the covenant that has given you an exemption. You're not better than them. All have sinned. And so your protection is the mark. Your security is the mark. There's a story that some of you have wondered about, and I'm going to explain to you, and what I've said already sheds light to it. Have you ever wondered what happened in Exodus 4 when it seemed like God wanted to kill Moses? Have you ever wondered? How many of you have read that and you were like, what in the world was happening? Some of you will know go Bibles, you know go, Judas Church, you know go. You're just like, <laughs> don't worry, we got you, we got you. So the Bible tells us this story in Exodus 4, 25 before, uh, that, the first of 25 and after, but around that period, the Bible says, the Lord met with Moses and sought to kill him. And you're like, what? Is God schizophrenic or something? How can you call someone in Exodus 3 and try to kill him in Exodus 4? What is happening? But you see, Moses knew better. The covenant of the circumcision had come since Genesis 17 in the time of Abraham. All male children were to be circumcised. How could Moses, of all people, have a son that is not circumcised? And because of that, his life was at risk. The judgment that is supposed to come on everybody is going to come on you now. And as Moses was about to be judged, Zipporah, his wife, knew what she had done wrong, quickly carried the son and circumcised him and dropped him and said, he's a bloody son to you, meaning, see, the act has been done. And then that attack ceased. And it just tells us, listen, this gives us a very powerful picture of the grace of God in Christ. Like I've been saying since I started, we are not better than the world. We deserve to be judged. It is by the provision of God in his redemptive plan that we are protected. Are you getting this? I mean, even Moses was going to come under the sword. Even Moses. Meaning God didn't choose him because he was so excellent or, you know, by his own standards. He needed to come under the covenant. He needed to place his faith in what was coming. Say loud amen if you understand and I didn't confuse you. Amen. Some people are like, amen. Don't worry, you listen to it again and again and you'll get it, right? But I have a lot to share with you on this. I wish I had more time. Having given you some of the information, before we even begin to build the case, I just want to say this. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 11:6. 6, it says anyone who comes to God must first believe that he is, but it doesn't stop there. Many people, that's, where, that's, that's the totality of their Christian experience. I believe he is. They just acknowledge God somewhere in their head. I believe he is. He didn't stop there. Anyone who comes to God must first believe that he is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Meaning, my relationship with the Lord must count for something. The Bible says he has not called the seed of Jacob to seek him in vain. He's a rewarder. There must be a boast, a rub-off of my knowledge of Christ. And I mean it in practical terms. Why am I saying this? Some of us subconsciously have more faith in negative spirituality than in positive. What, I'm, what do I mean by that? If, you see, if you're walking on the road and you see a shrine with some blood on the floor, with some red cloths, Subconsciously, You just avoid it. Some might even be scared because you saw something that was indicative of the fact that some covenants had gone there and you believed in the spiritual efficacy of what had happened there because of what you saw. But now we are talking about God, the true living God, covenanting with man and how that covenant affects you. Listen, you must have as much faith in it. There must be a confidence and assurance that you must have. I mean, read, reading through the Bible and seeing God dealing with men, it must impact you in a special way. That God, even Cain who had sinned, he was afraid that when he goes out, people are going to kill him. God puts a mark on him, said, no one will touch you. And Cain went from the presence of God, knowing no one could touch him. Why? Because he was marked. Are you getting what I'm saying? i'm saying all of that to say this you can learn about the circumcision and just know it somewhere in your head oh that's powerful uh marked yay (laughs) even cain a murderer didn't act like that as soon as god marked him he, he was confident no one's gonna touch me what is it about this mark that cain understood people will recognize people were not there when god marked him but he knew the mark had an intelligent communication all right to put him aside as someone who must not be touched that's something to learn you think about how far God can go to establish his covenant with people just to ratify his covenant with Noah he put a symbol in the sky a rainbow that's your God and now you're talking about the circumcision his mark on people, that this is not something to joke about. See, before we move into um, the fulfillment of the covenant of circumcision, all that we're talking about were just types and shadows. You have the real stuff. But when you see how people who had the type and shadow acted, it must touch you. It must touch you. See the way Moses, David spoke. David he believed so much in the covenant. He believed so much. Goliath came. In the first service I said it was 12 foot, I don't know, maybe I was feeling tired. It was actually nine, which is still a lot. The tallest basketballer is about nine, seven foot five. And then Goliath <laughs> was nine foot tall. It's a giant. And now he's, he's bragging against Israel, cursing their God. And saying, bring a soldier, let, let us fight. Your strongest soldier. And if we win, you guys will pay tribute to us. We'll subjugate the entire nation. And if we lose, vice versa. Uh, you know, he was so devastating in his appearance. Everybody was playing look away game. Even Saul, who was so strong when he heard um, Goliath bragging. Just, doing. just looked away. But David wasn't even supposed to be there. He wasn't even old enough to be in the army. He just came there to deliver food and heard Goliath bragging. Listen, this guy had pedigree. He had a lot of good stuff in his CV. I've killed the lion and the bear. And in fact, when he was persuading Saul that he could face Goliath, he had to tell him that because it is only your qualification that will allow the... Saul won't allow you to face Goliath by the grace of God. How do you know you can beat him by the grace of God? So you have to give him qualification, all right? But when he was before Goliath, he didn't boast about the bear and the lion. Listen, this is something important to learn. He looked at him. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Listen, he saw this circumcision as protection. Everybody saw a giant. So scary. So devastating, David saw a man without a covenant. You are standing here, no matter how tall you are, you have no spirit force backing you, you are meat. You are meat. Listen, these are things, I'm sorry to say, it looks like the jazz guys have more confidence in these things. You see, a small person, because of something he tied around his waist, he's so confident. What about God's people? David was so. What he had was a type and a shadow. I'm saying again. It only foreshadowed what you have. And he's talking more bravely than you are. He stands before a giant. This is a boy who is not even old enough to be in the army. And he says, You come against me with the spear and with the sword and with the shield. But I come against you, he didn't say, as someone who has killed a lion. Is that what he said? He didn't say, I come against you as someone who has killed a bear. Is that what he said? What did he say? I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whose armies you have defied. Listen, even in Christ, there is a boast in the circumcision. I'm coming to that. That's where we're going to end. But first I want you to see the limitations of this. And as you begin to see the limitations of the circumcision of the law, it should even increase your fascination that they had what was so temporary and yet they bragged so much. Ah, when Joshua went to battle and lost, he knew something must be wrong. Some of you are so used to losing. He knew he got that. He, he had to inquire. Something must be wrong. Ah. What kind of mentality did they have? Hallelujah. I'm going to teach on that mentality soon. It's it's right there in the Bible. You know, God is so big on this. He said, we should settle our disputes ourselves. He thinks it's belittling that two believers will have an issue and take it to court. There are a lot of reasons why we might not really go with that today. I wish I could explain it to you. But that's just how God sees us. He believes that our wisdom in his word is superior to any legal system. He believes that. That we should have an independent system of justice in church. He said, is there no wise person amongst you that can sit you down and settle it? He said, you should have such a superiority complex that should make you rather suffer yourself to be defrauded than subject yourself to be judged with carnal wisdom. He said, take the money. There's just a way God sees us. A mentality of how different we are. We are marked, we are separate. Hallelujah. We are in the world but not of the world. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4 verse 9, this is good stuff. Paul is such a brilliant teacher. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for what? For righteousness. And Paul makes an observation. He makes the observation that that declaration of Abraham's righteousness happened before Abraham was circumcised. So Abraham was declared righteous before he was circumcised. He said that changes everything. It means Abraham therefore qualifies to be a father both to those who were circumcised and both uh, to those who weren't. He says that changes everything. Let me read that to you quickly from verse 9. He says, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon uncircumcised also? He says, for we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but while he was uncircumcised. Verse 11, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal. Can you say a seal? A seal. Of righteousness of faith, which, we ha- which he had while still uncircumcised. This is such a good teaching that he might be the father of those who believe though they are uncircumcised and the righteousness might be imputed unto them also. That's you and I. So in Abraham, we see that we didn't have to be circumcised according to to the law to be righteous. Are you getting this? He says, And the father of circumcision to those who not only are circumcised, But also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Faith, therefore, is the most important thing. Are you getting what I'm saying? Abraham shows that he had to believe to be declared righteous. So it is righteousness that brings, is faith that brings righteousness. And whether you are circumcised or not, it is faith that really counts. He's making a brilliant argument, and I want to illustrate it this way. When you are married, in our culture, culture, the prevalent culture is you are given a wedding ring. And wedding ring talks about identification, like I said, right? Now, you might be somewhere as a single pringle person, and you see someone who is your exact speck. And you're like, mm, mm, oh Lord. Maybe the sisters are like, God, I won't even lie. If he talks to me, I'm going to respond. And then as he's going about his business, he just turns. Maybe he's describing someone to someone, and he points like this, and you see a ring. Imagine, Im- immediately, all <laughs> right? Some of you know what I'm saying. Your mind just switches off. Take him. Take him, take him, take him, right? Answer me, don't let me have another impression of you. <laughs> You know, and the same thing happens, all right. If you're a guy, single, pringle, you try to, you know, you see a lady who looks presentable and all of that, you're like, hmm, you're going to walk up to her. As you're walking, she just turns, and then you see ring, you know. So that shows you identification. However, on a day where a married person forgets his ring at home, does he become unmarried? Listen, because the ring is just a symbol of an actual covenant that exists, do you understand, between two people. And that's what circumcision is. The most important thing is the covenant and not the symbol. And Paul is explaining that. Praise the Lord. So the Jews needed to mark themselves as the lineage through which the Christ will come. But even if they were marked as the lineage through which Christ will come, they still needed to believe in the Christ. So, if, if they didn't believe in the Christ, their mark won't count for anything. And now, if you're, you as a Gentile believe in the Christ, even if you are not marked as the lineage through which Christ will come, you are still declared righteous. So, in the Bible, there were many righteous Gentiles and unrighteous Jews. Because the circumcision then was not everything. And so Paul describes this. I have to move faster now. In Romans chapter 2 from verse 25 to 29. Now he begins to talk about people who though were circumcised were not keeping the law of God. He said then your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. That's what he says. And he says and people who though are uncircumcised are keeping the law of God. Then they are counted as circumcised. Because when it all comes down to it, it is faith in Christ that really matters. So faith in Christ has become the unifying factor. By faith in Christ, we all have equal access. Are you getting this? So now this is what changes the theology of circumcision, especially in Christ, post-redemptive reality. So let's begin to examine that now. Oh, glory to God. Ephesians chapter 2, from verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 11, we'll read from verse 11 to 13. It says, therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh. Oh, I like the fact that he talks about that in past tense. (laughs) In the flesh we were Gentiles. It says, who are called on circumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Now we have to qualify circumcision because circumcision had changed. He says, says, circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Because there is another type of circumcision. Glory to God. Pay attention to this. So there was a circumcision in the flesh made by hands. We were uncircumcision in the flesh. But that was in the past. Verse 12. He says that at that time you were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, you see, Having no hope without God in the world. We didn't have the identification that the Jews had. We didn't have the promise that the Jews had. Even though the promise was to us, no one just told us, right? Verse 13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes as far off, how were we as far off? Listen, the circumcision didn't just identify a group of people, it alienated others. Are you getting this? But he now says, you who sometimes were far off have been what? Yeah. Made nigh. How were we made nigh? All of us also took our knives and circumcised ourselves. No, how were we made nigh? By the blood of Christ. What does this tell you about the blood of Christ? Christ is the real circumcision. Listen. When the Jews circumcised themselves, cutting away their foreskin, they were showing in a figure that someone would be cut away for us to have life. Remember how I started. Someone went under the knife so that we can have access to the tree of life. So it was a figure of the true circumcision in Christ. He was cut off from the land of the living so that we may live. Glory to his name. And now he says, you who sometimes were are far off have been brought nigh. Oh, glory to God, somebody. Look at Colossians chapter 2 Colossians chapter 2 we'll read verse 11 and 13 so this is the true doctrine of circumcision Jesus died for us gave us access to the father and in his death the body of sin was destroyed by faith in him we receive sanctification Sin is no longer irresistible. We Receive the Holy Spirit that empowers us to walk according to the status of Christ. The moment we declared faith in Jesus, a hidden spiritual circumcision happened in our hearts. This time around, there is no scar. The technology is way more advanced. He came into us, hallelujah, and performed a heart transplant, took away the stony heart out of our flesh, Gave us a heart of flesh, that is the true circumcision. It is not made with human hands, it is the instrument, is done by the agency of the Spirit of God. Say a loud, amen. amen. So, pay attention to that as we move on. It says, In Him you were also circumcised. Hallelujah! Glory to God! Say, I'm circumcised. circumcised. Is it is that in Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands? By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. That's what the cutting away in the, amongst the Jews represented. That's the sin of the flesh, cutting it off from you. It looked like it was part of you. It looked like it couldn't be separate from you, but in Christ it's been cut off. Sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. By the what? Say that loud. By the what? Circumcision the circumcision of Christ. So Christ on the cross, that was circumcision cut away for us verse 13 oh glory to god and you've been dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh you see that he's explaining what those circumcision symbols actually meant in this uncircumcision of your flesh he has made a life together with him having forgiven all your trespasses Glory to God. Say I'm circumcised. circumcised. So for you, circumcision has three implications as I round off. Number one, identification. (laughs) Now you identify as children of God because you are circumcised. Hallelujah. Number two, sanctification. But because in, in, in circumcision, the true circumcision, the body of sin is destroyed. He has empowered you to live a life that is above sin. Say loud, amen. amen. So number one, I said, is what? Number two is what? Sanctification. Number three, as we open number three, as I get ready to show you number three, go with me, Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three from verse 3. Now, this is what we use to end our services, and this is just going to give you more insight to our benediction, the way we end services in Celebration Church. We serve God by His Spirit, we boast in Christ. This is where it's taken from just in case you don't know. And he says, for we are the circumcision. Hi, mandere Now, he's training you to talk like David. David could talk about the circumcision as a thing that was boastworthy. Who is this uncircumcised? We, we know who we are. We are the circumcision. Not our circumcision. Not a different type, but the true one. The actual one. For we are the circumcision. Who worship God in the spirit. Our worship to God is in the spirit. Not with the law. Not with the flesh. You know, by what we can do to ourselves. cutting ourselves and all of that. Who worship God in the spirit. It's just by faith. Our circumcision is by faith. Who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus. I'm going to come back to that. He says, and put no confidence in the flesh. The confidence of David was in the flesh. And you think about how great his confidence was. Even if it was just a type and shadow of the true confidence you ought to have. That because of something his father had done to him when he was born on the eighth day. He could stand before Goliath. Are you getting this? But he says, we put no confidence in the flesh. Our service to God is spiritual. What happened to us is spiritual. We are the circumcision. Who serve God by his spirit. And then the word translated rejoice. In fact, newer translations get it right. It means to boast. It says rejoice in Christ Jesus. And that's putting it mildly. It means to boast in Christ Jesus. Listen, our circumcision is an occasion for boasting. It's no small thing. He Has put a seal on you. The seal of the spirit is on your heart, an eternal witness to the fact that Christ dwells in you and you belong to Him. Listen, you carry His brand, don't you understand it? Meaning, the spirit realm recognizes you as marked. You are marked. God, are the days you'll be afraid of one chance now. Anywhere they carry you to Any mirror they put in front of you, they recognize you as the mark of God You belong to the Lord Listen, any part of witchcraft can recognize that mark Any satanic mirror can recognize that mark. You are marked of God No matter where they carry your name to No matter where they carry your clothes to you are marked of God Hallelujah. The the devil cannot scar he who is already scarred. You already have the scar of God. Identifying you as belonging to the Lord. It's a confidence to have. It's a boast to make. It's a boast. The next time someone with charms threatens you, you say, eh? Eh? You know, in those days, some people When you start threatening them, they just open their cloth to show you incisions. You know where they've been. Are you getting what I'm saying? Listen, guys, you have incisions too. You are not ordinary. Listen, you have to believe it and talk like it. He placed a seal upon you to announce to the world that you belong to him. The devil knows it. The devil can see it. Talk like it. Walk like it. You are not powerless, you are not defenceless, greater is he that is in you, than he that is in the world. So you must learn to boast in it, rejoice in it, let it be the lyrics of your songs. Worship him for it, thank him for it, brag about it to Satan. Thank you for listening.